We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From the hills of Strawberry Canyon, I'm Coin Dang, and this is the Golden Bear Cast. Let's go, go Bears! And welcome back to another episode of the California Golden Bear Cast, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Um, I am Rob. One of your co-hosts. I'm here alone again today because this is a season preview. Andy doesn't do these season previews. It's just me. But I am here with uh, Jamie from Frogs of War, our mortal mortal enemy of the Cheez It Bowl uh, <laughs> debacle of 2018. But Jamie, how are you doing uh, this morning? Rob, I'm doing really well. I'm I'm glad that you asked uh, asked me to come on so we could relive that beautiful, stupid football game <laughs> and maybe have another one. Well, I mean, there's there's no point in talking about anything else. We we should talk about the Cheez-It Bowl before we go into the preview. Give me your – because I've talked to so many Cal fans about their experience, whether they were watching at home, whether they were in Phoenix, whatever. What was – from – from uh, give me your history of what went through that night for you. Wow. Yeah, so I uh, was actually on a family vacation with my wife and her family. And so we were – uh, out of state, I, we live in Texas. We were in Florida, um, and her family's not a, a big football family. So I actually went to a restaurant nearby to watch the game by myself, um, and I sat down and obviously did not expect uh, what was going to happen that evening. Um, but I just remember sitting there alone in a restaurant watching this very dumb football game happen and thinking to myself, uh, you know, what has my life become that this was my <laughs> priority this evening and uh you know obviously tcu pulling out the win in overtime uh with the jonathan song you know short field goal uh made it a little bit more worth it uh and kind of the meme that that game has become uh has just been hilarious to watch i'm sure cal fans think differently uh just you know having lost that game um but you know it was it was a fun football game uh for you know having your fourth string quarterback 
throw five interceptions or whatever it was that Mulestein uh, threw. You know, we ran Justin Rogers out there with drop foot at one point, uh, who noticeably only had full use of one leg. And, uh, you know, Shewo Alanalua thankfully dragged a few people into the end zone one time, and, and that plus Jonathan Song's kick was enough to do it. Uh, but it was a hilarious football game that I think should really kind of be immortalized in. And just this is kind of what college football can be if we just let it get really silly. It, the the sheer insanity which occurred um, at the Cheez-It Bowl. Like I tell people all the time, like I was at that game. I was in Phoenix. I was sitting in press row. I ne- and I just remember all of the writers not being able to go to the bathroom until regulation was over. And as soon as regulation was over, it's everyone bolted to the bathroom. I still have that picture of press row being emptied out because <laughs> everyone was running <laughs> to the bathroom. But... Yeah, I you know, this is my first time talking to a TCU fan about what happened that night. Um, but, I mean, this is only part two. Like, if, if we had a regular 2020, this would be part three. We would have we would have had three straight years of cheese bowl rematches. But we're, I mean, maybe it was for the betterment of everybody that we got a year off. It might have been. Uh, you know, it takes a while to recover from a football game like that as a fan. Uh, and and just, you know, just the insanity of it, uh, just record-setting numbers of turnovers, the foolishness of the attempted TCU double pass where Rager's <laughs> first pass back to the mule was very clearly a forward pass, and then Grayson just disregarded that fact altogether and threw it straight into the arms of a linebacker for Cal. Um it just it, it really brings me a lot of joy to think about how dumb that football game is uh, really truly um i did go back and i watched it again earlier this week just to kind of refresh and get prepared to hate cal for like eight days or so <laughs> and um man it just it it makes me chuckle every time i turn it on just because i know what's coming um and if i could go back to uh you know, that restaurant bar in Florida and walk up to myself right before the game started. I said, you're, you're going to be in for a real treat buddy and just pat myself on the back and walk away. Overall for TC fans, do you think it's one of those games where you kind of have a shared, I mean, this is how it is for Cal fans. You have a shared memory of where were you that night? <laughs> like what it was just that, that pinnacle type of, of football game for the fan base. Is that kind of how it is for the TCU fans as well? Uh, yeah, in some in some regards, for sure. You know, I, when we saw that Cal was on the schedule last year, obviously that game got canceled because of COVID. And then mm-hmm. again this year, uh, it definitely brought up fond memories of the Cheez It Bowl. We do uh, still uh, defend it with great honor uh, every time it's brought up in kind of the college football pantheon conversation of, of you know what's gone on the last few years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for TCU fans, it's also kind of a memory of how many things went wrong that whole season. To get to a point where your fourth string former walk-on quarterback is the dude and he's dragging you guys kicking and streaming into bowl eligibility. Uh, So many other injuries. So many things went wrong that season. To have it end that way um, and to come out with just this insane win. um, I mean, you you go back to that game. TCU Sports Information Director fell down on the sideline and got a 15-yard penalty. Like the, everything that happened in that football game just encapsulated TCU's entire season. Um, and so it really is a treat uh, for TCU fans. Uh, we, we love to talk about it. I don't think we'd like it nearly as much if we had lost, but it's the cheese It bowl. And then it's like the big 31 point comeback against Oregon and the Alamo bowl. Those are the two bowl games we talk about the most outside of the Rose bowl win. I mean, which 
I feel like Cal fans are are cool enough now where we we still talk about it, and it's kind of like a self deprecating joke at this point. <laughs> just <laughs> I, I think I think you just lean into the role. I think you, you gotta sure. you gotta. Um, but yeah, that's that's enough talk of the cheese bowl. But the one question I did want to ask regarding the cheese bowl to to close out is, well, this is when we were part of SB Nation and we were California Golden Blogs at that point. But um, I remember you guys got a box of Cheez-Its from the Cheez-It Bowl, like just a huge box of like just random mm-hmm. little treats. Like, how did that happen? How did we not get it? I'm so confused. <laughs> so we uh, we had a, a, a former writer who uh, his name is Grant McGalliard. He, he's doing some pretty cool stuff now as well. Uh, around TCU, uh, not related with Frogs of War, but um, he ranked, he wrote an article for us that ranked every cheese it by flavor. Uh, and so he had this, he, he spent far too much time tasting every, every flavor of <laughs> cheese it that there was, and then giving them a grade and, and writing a few uh, lines of description about each one and ranked them all. And somehow uh, the cheese it social media account found it. Uh, and reached out to him and loved that he had done this weird bit with Cheez-Its related to a football game and sent him this massive, massive care package of Cheez-Its. So that is, awesome. it was really, it, you know, it didn't really have much to do with the bowl game other than the Cheez-It Twitter account found out that one of our writers had done this insane thing. That's still cool though. When you have like a obscure written piece like that, that turns into some, some goodies. Right. Always, always I mean, it was nice. fun. It, it was a really fun bit at the front end, and he got something out of it, too, which was pretty cool. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. Well, enough of the cheese at pool talk. Let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about real football that's happening yes. this week. Um, just to go over a little bit of TCU stats for all the Cal fans listening out there. Uh, in 2020, TCU played 10 games. Uh, they finished the season six and four. I believe um, and finished off with a bowl game against Louisiana Tech. Um, fifty-two ten win, solid solid win. That that Louisiana Tech game was actually a a regular season game that was oh, rescheduled really? at the last minute. TCU's bowl game was supposed to be against Arkansas, um, but it got canceled got it. because of COVID. Yeah. Mm. All right. Well, see, that's why I have you on and not me <laughs> explaining uh records and schedules. Uh, but that was uh, TCU. They averaged uh, 30.8 points per game last season, which was good for 45th in the country. Their defense um, held opponents to 24.2, which was good for 35th in the country. Um, and moving on to the current uh, TCU team, they're 1-0, beat Duquesne last week, 45-3. to um, And that is, that's all there is. There's only one game in so far. <laughs> uh, but talking about the TCU team, Let's talk general big big picture stuff first. How big of a difference is there between the 2020 team and the 2021 team uh, from your perspective? I think the biggest thing, and I'm sure you're going to get this answer a lot from folks this year, is the ability to have a full spring offseason and fall camp um, because of the vaccine, because you know COVID protocols have changed a little bit from 2020 to 2021. Uh, and so really for TCU bringing as many guys back, especially on offense as they did. Uh, it was really just a, the biggest difference is the fact that these guys have had a whole nother offseason to actually play together uh, and, and be close to each other. Um, you know, some of the biggest issues in 2020 were the offensive line 
struggled um, as a unit. A couple guys got banged up. Um, so it was an injured unit for TCU in all of 2020. It's got all of its health back. Everybody is back on that offensive line from last year, except for the left tackle, uh, who has been replaced by uh, Obina Easy, who's a, a Memphis grad transfer. Uh, and so that's even a point of strength now, uh, in spite of that being a new guy at that position. Um, and the other thing I think that's really changed is Max Duggan is in his third year at the helm of this offense. Uh, for a guy who didn't have a full offseason as a freshman um, because he just got on campus uh, in the fall and then a guy who had a heart issue that kept him out mm-hmm. of some of fall camp plus COVID uh, last year. Uh, we didn't even know if he was going to play in 2020. He ended up coming in in the second half of the Iowa state game. Um, this is the first full off season for max. Uh, and I think what we're seeing is uh, a guy who is more confident who's really growing into his role as a leader uh, and who knows what his deficiencies have been the last two years, which frankly is just accuracy. Uh, and so he's spent an entire offseason working with his receivers, getting more accurate, uh, focusing on his passing game. We all know he's a great runner. Um, and I think we're going to see the payoff of that in year three with Max Duggan. Doesn't, it doesn't hurt either that TCU brought back in kind of the offensive genius of the 2014-2015 run. Uh, Doug Meacham mm-hmm. is back at the helm as offensive coordinator as well. Does Doug Meacham bring a, a different aspect to the offense, or do you think it just kind of still goes the same DNA of the Horned Frogs? I, I do think he brings... Uh, a little bit of a different scheme uh you know we saw even there's not much you can glean from a game against a team like duquesne Mm -hmm. uh and and we all recognize that you're supposed to win that game like tcu won that game it's an fcs school just get in get the win and don't get hurt um but some of the things we noticed early on were uh just the multi the multiplicity of formations uh the it looked like uh wide receivers were actually running the full route tree instead of just you know five yard outs and Mm -hmm. and you know just go deep which is yeah. kind of what it felt like for the last few years under Sonny Cumbie. Um, there was a lot of pre-snap motion. Uh, it felt like Max had more control at the line of scrimmage as well. So I think it's it's uh, partially on Meacham coming back and, and injecting some more creativity into this offense. And it's also partially on Max uh, just growing and understanding and, and being able to take more control in game. All right. Let's transition to a little bit of the defensive side since we talked about your offensive coordinator. Um, we talked to Coach Wilcox this week, and one of the things he said was they expect uh, TCU to be running a four-two-five. It's kind of in the DNA. They leave their corners out on man coverage, out on islands, and expect them to do um, their part in controlling the wide receivers of the opposing team. Is that do you think a good read of the defense uh, going into going into this year? Yeah, for sure. I mean, that Patterson, you know, is kind of the brainchild behind four two five. That's his baby. He's worked that he's worked that defense his entire time at mm-hmm. TCU. Uh, the thing that makes his four two five unique, though, isn't necessarily the formation or the play calling or anything like that. It's how he breaks up his defense. And so uh, he has essentially three separate units on the field. You have your front six that get one play call, and then your secondary is actually kind of divided down the middle, and each gets a different play call. So they're they're separate units insofar as uh, they only have to worry about their quarter or their third of the field, uh, and they can trust that the other guys on the field are doing their thing. Um, and so, yeah, that defense does require a lot from its cornerbacks. You've seen TCU produce some incredible mm-hmm. cornerbacks over the last few years, Jason Barrett, Jeff Gladney, 
THT, you know, LT's cousin is, is our number one cornerback right now. And he's playing out of his mind. Um, I think though, at the other corner position, you're looking at a potential uh, weakness for TCU right now with Noah Daniels being injured. Um, uh, You know, he's, he's uh, his status for Cal is up in the air and that's leaving it to a couple backups who uh, have struggled a little bit in that man coverage. Um, But ultimately TCU is known for its defense. 35th last year uh, is not where, where Patterson wants this defense to be ranked. Um, And it, you know, early returns and just knowing the guys that we're bringing back, uh, it's looking like this is going to be another kind of typical defensive year for Gary Patterson's unit. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Let's dive a little bit deeper into the defensive side then. We got uh, Garrett Wallow, Wallow, I mm-hmm. believe, I, um, is is no longer with the team, um, has moved on. Uh, but 90 tackles last year in just 10 games, nine tackles for loss, two sacks. Uh, but you all, but you keep Mathis, who is your leading sack guy who's returning with eight sacks and 12 point, 12 and a half tackles for loss last mm-hmm. year. Talk to me about who's who's taking that role, who's taking that step up into Wallow's spot and eating up all of those tackles. Yeah, so it, you know Wallow uh, it went fifth of, uh, in the fifth round to the mm-hmm. Texans. Uh, he lost Trayvon Merrick in the second round to the Raiders. He's starting safety for the Raiders now. Our Darius Washington is is with the Ravens now. So you lose those three guys on this on this defensive unit um, at linebacker though. Jamoy Hodge and Wyatt Harris are the two guys stepping in next to D Winners. Uh, that kind of uh, obviously there are only two linebackers on the field at any time under Patterson's defense, but uh, Hodge and Wallow or Hodge and um, Harris are kind of stepping into that void left by Wallow. Mathis uh, is a great defensive end. He's got some um, buddies as well on the defensive line that are back. Corey Bethley spent most of the year last year injured. He's a senior this year. He came back for a fifth year. Um, he's been tearing it up in practice and obviously did really well against Duquesne because it's Duquesne. Uh, but that's the defensive tackle who, who you can expect big things from this year. Um, and then in, in, in the secondary, it's, it's more of, um, Travis Hodges, Tomlinson, uh, LT's cousin, mm-hmm. who's, uh, pro football focus rates him as I think the number two cornerback in the country. Uh, and deservedly. So the guy is an absolute unit. He's incredible. He's, he, 
he doesn't project well to the NFL because of his size. Um, but if people give him a chance, uh, they're going to really be impressed with him at the next level as well. Um, at safety, there are still some questions because you're replacing two guys that have moved on to the NFL. Mm-hmm. You've got uh, LeKendrick Van Zant, who is the one holdover starter from safety last year. And then you're, you're working with Nook Bradford and, and Bud Clark, uh, who are both uh, veterans within the program, but this is their first year really getting consistent starting time. Uh, and so it'll be interesting to see how this, this kind of restructured secondary uh, does against a, a power five offense for the first time. If you were in Cal's offensive coordinator shoes, what would you be planning for to be successful against this TCU defense? Uh, getting the ball out quickly, because like you said, O'Shawn Mathis is a really, really great defensive end. Um, uh, and he can get to the quarterback uh, pretty consistently. Uh, and then I would probably focus my attention on whatever side of the field Noah Daniels' backup is on. Uh, you know what you're going to get from Hodges Tomlinson. He's a lockdown corner. Uh, LeKendrick Van Zant tends to play towards that side of the field as well. So if you're looking um, to find a kind of a soft spot in TCU's defense, it would probably be the other corner position where you know that guy's going to be one-on-one uh we saw right now that cj caesar we saw him a couple times against duquesne get beaten by a double move and that's not a great sight for tcu fans knowing the kind of offenses that are coming down the pipe in the big 12 as well to wrap up on the defense if you can give me one or two players you think that'll probably be the game breakers or the x factors going into this cal game who would you pick I mean, I've said Hodges Tomlinson a couple times. We've uh-huh. talked about O'Shawn Mathis. I would really keep your eyes on D. Winters, though, number 13. He's a returning starting linebacker. He kind of got overshadowed by Wallow last year because Wallow was showing out. Uh, but Winters has the potential to be another great linebacker in, in Gary Patterson's defense. Uh, so keep your eyes on number 13. He flies around the field. He's absolutely massive. Uh, and he um, he can get to sideline to sideline almost as fast as any any corner or safety on the field. There's the defense. We got, and then we got to talk about the offense because I think that's that's the big one. Um, if you if you're listening to this uh, and you're a uh, what's it a Cal fan or a Rifer Cal fan, of course Christopher H has his offensive preview up, which is absolutely probably the best out of all the Cal fandom. But uh, I digress. Um, we're going to talk about Max Duggan a lot, but let's talk about the other other spots first. You guys have a very good stable of running backs um, that pretty evenly get uh, enough touches uh, to kind of throw defenses off a little bit. I'm just looking at the stats here. It looks like um, Miller got eight last week, DiMercato with five, Evans with five. Uh, I can't see the position, so I'm not sure if they're running backs, but Daryl Reynolds with three, Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of where you're at right now, and most of those guys were guys that you had in in 2020. What's what's the situation with that? Is there a, a, a starter or is it just by whatever personnel or, or play call or however that works? Yeah, that's a good question. So, so the running back room really starts with Zach Evans, the former five-star recruit uh, who committed to Georgia, had this really, really long and drawn-out recruiting process and somehow, by the grace of God, ended up at TCU. <laughs> uh, this kid is everything that you hope a five-star running back will be he kind of glides when he's out there on the field he's just built like an absolute truck i mean he is a monster um he didn't start against duquesne because of a minor violation of team rules related to nil regulations Mm -hmm. uh so he sat out the first two series which is why his snap count was down a little bit um but you're gonna see zach evans first 
uh, out of that stable of running backs. And behind him, uh, probably the number two guy right now is Kendra Miller. Both of these guys are sophomores. They both came in last year as true freshmen and absolutely tore it up for the Frogs. Amari DiMercato is a senior uh, who has given everything to TCU. He scored his first rushing touchdown of his career last week. He's probably the best pass blocker out of the bunch, so you might see him in on third downs. Um, but beyond uh, Evans, Miller, and DiMercato, that, uh, that's probably going to be the three-headed monster that you see at running back. It all, it all really starts with Zach Evans, though. Got it. Then we'll move to the outside before we come back to the quarterback. We'll talk about the wide receivers. We talked about Jalen Rager when we were talking about the cheese at bowl. I haven't done my research, so I'm going to toss it to you. Who are the wide receivers uh, that we should be looking out for in this high-powered TCU offense? Keep an eye out for number one, Quentin Johnson. This is a kid who TCU flipped from Texas before last year. He came in as a true freshman and led, led the team in receiving. Uh, he was, I believe, fifth overall in college football last year in yards after catch. Uh, he's a burner. He's 6'4", 220, uh, so he's not going to be pushed off the line. He's not going to be pushed around in the secondary. Uh, and he and Max Duggan have really started to build a great rapport. Um, so keep an eye out for him out wide. Number 18, Savion Williams as well is another guy to keep uh, an eye on. He and, and Quentin are both sophomores this year. Uh, and then you've got Tay Barber and um, Darius Davis in, in the slot and J.D. Spielman, uh, these kind of water bug guys. Uh, TCU's arguably the deepest unit on TCU's entire team is wide receiver. Uh, and so those five are, are guys to look out for, but the list keeps keeps on going after them. The one player that I think all Cal fans probably want to at least talk about a little bit is formerly DJ Rogers, now DeAndre Rogers. Cal recruit, uh, you know, committed to us, signed with us, but then uh, extenuating circumstances led him to, to TCU. Um, What's the read on him, and, and is he going to be playing for you guys this season, or is he is the talent just too much there for him to make up ground into to vying for playing time? So the the frogs have him at, at tight end right now. Mm -hmm. uh, he is uh, he was banged up this fall camp, so he didn't get as much time with uh, the first unit as as frog fans had hoped for, especially losing their two top tight ends uh, after the twenty twenty season. Um, but between him and Carter Ware and Jorquarius Spivey. Uh, the Frogs have a, a decent list of tight ends. Um, Rodgers didn't play against uh, Duquesne. I'm not sure about his availability yet for the Cal game, um, but it really looks like right now, TCU doesn't use tight ends much anyways, mm -hmm. uh, and Carter Ware seems to kind of be that number one guy at really more of an H-back position. Um, so I don't know that we'll see a ton from Rodgers early on in the season, but I would expect his usage to, to go up as he gets more familiar with the offense as long as he stays healthy. All right, now we got to talk about the quarterbacks, right? We got to talk about Max Duggan. Oh yeah, former four-star guy, I believe, was the number one quarterback in the state of Iowa, uh, and the number four overall prospect in the state of Iowa. Mm -hmm. um, comes in and is looking like trajectory-wise is exponentially getting better, and and that was particularly, I mean, it is Duquesne, but just looking at his play from that game, it looks like he's taking that next step forward. What's the expectation for for Max for TCU fans this year and, and for this season? You know, I think expectations for Max Duggan are at an all-time high. TCU fans are coming out of this era of Andy Dalton into Trayvon Boykin into Kenny Hill. Mm -hmm. And then there have been like three years of a lull where you had some major four-star guys come in that didn't pan out, whether it was because of injury or another reason. Um, and then 
Max, who was probably really, if, if everything went according to schedule, according to plan, this would probably be his first year as a starter. Um, and so he's forced into this situation way earlier than expected, way earlier than TCU coaches probably wanted him to have to start. Uh, and he just simply grinded it out his freshman year. He came back from a heart issue for his sophomore year. Um, and like you said, we've seen, you know, just on paper, the progression of this kid as he's grown up and grown up. Uh, and, you know, at Big 12 Media Days this year, he was very transparent about how he needed to improve his game. He looked right at all of these folks and said, you know, I have to be a better passer this year. And that's exactly what I've been working on. Uh, and against Duquesne, we saw that uh, he made one mistake. That was it. Um, but every other pass, his accuracy looked much better. Um, his timing looked much better. He looked more comfortable in the pocket. Uh, and, and we'll see if that continues now against a power five school in Cal who has, you know, a very good front seven. That's uh, probably the strength of your defense, uh, at least from what I've read and, and seen. Um, and so we'll see if the offensive line holds up well enough for him to continue to maintain that composure, get the ball out time on time and, and get it to receivers where, where they need it to be. So let's let's put you in the shoes of Cal's defensive coordinator. What does Cal have to do to slow down this TCU offense and make them ineffective? I think with any defense, you start with making someone one-dimensional. Um, I think that right now, as much as guys like Stats of War are going to kill me, uh, I think the strength of this TCU offense is Zach Evans right now. Uh, if you know he he can he averaged seven point nine yards per carry in twenty twenty. Uh, he only had five or six carries against Duquesne. We're not, I'm not even going to count that game as anything because you know, it's Duquesne. Uh, but this is a kid who has proven to be tough, to be an incredible runner, to be able to break tackles and gain yards. Um, if I'm Cal, I focus on stopping the run and focus on getting pressure on Duggan early. Uh, if you get pressure on him, move him around in the pocket. Uh, he showed, especially in 2020, when some of his linemen started getting hurt, he didn't have much time to throw the ball. He showed a little bit of happy feet. He's an incredible runner. Mm -hmm. He's an incredible scrambler. Um, but if you're forcing him into that, uh, rather than letting him kind of sit back and pick his target and, and go through his progressions, uh, you're, you're almost forcing him to regress a, a little bit. Um, and I think that's Cal's best chance at slowing down TCU's offense. All right. We talked about X factor and under the radar game breakers that you think are going to come from the defense. What about the offensive side? You know, I, uh, with all of the hype around Duggan and Zach Evans and Quentin Johnson, there are a couple guys that I think get lost in everything. And specifically, I think uh, Darius Davis and JD Spielman tend to get lost in the mix. Uh, these are two guys who are incredible wide receivers. They are insanely fast. If you know anything about TCU, you know that Gary Patterson loves really fast guys uh, on both sides of the ball. Um, Speed Baby was his favorite, uh, was kind of his famous quote after beating Texas Tech in, in 2009. And um, these two dudes are fast as hell. They have incredible hands and they know how to separate from a defense. Uh, Spielman is this is a Nebraska transfer. He was like, I think, 40 yards off of breaking Nebraska's all time receiving record before he transferred to TCU. Davis is a four year guy who has just been around the block. Um, look for them to make plays over the middle of the field with their speed uh, and look for both of them in the return game too, because there are kick returners and they rotate on, on punt returns as well. Uh, two speedsters who, who you've got to keep your eyes on if you're an opposing fan. There you have it. You have all of the breakdown of the offense and defense for the TCU Horned Frogs. A couple more questions before we end. 
sure. the the podcast. First of all, a lot of Cal fans making that trip out to Texas for this game. Give me your top three things that Cal fans need to experience going to a TCU game day. Are there places to eat? Are there things to see? You know, are there mm. are there game day traditions we probably want to you know get a get a little bit of experience with? Like what what would you say is there? Uh, I'm all right. So obviously Texas, you're thinking I need some I need some good barbecue. All right. Uh, so you're gonna need every Cal fan. You need, write this down. You're gonna go to Heim. <laughs> H-E-I-M. You're going to go to Heim Barbecue. You can go to the one uh, off of Magnolia or you can go to the one off of White Settlement Road. Uh, either one will do. Uh, it is the best barbecue on the planet, hands down. Whoa. And I don't say that I don't say that lightly as a native Texan who's eaten you know, with family from Memphis. Like I, barbecue is my blood is barbecue sauce. <laughs> Heim Barbecue is the best barbecue you will ever eat. Go get the bacon burn ends, get the uh, green chili mac and cheese uh, and just enjoy right um other things to do in fort worth uh if you're first time to fort worth you know you got to go to the stockyards see the cattle drive uh they actually walk longhorns down the cattle drive every day at a certain time uh that's a fun kind of touristy thing to do um if you've got an extra day i would encourage you to check out the fort worth zoo i'm a dad so i take my kids there (laughs) quite frequently it is like the number one number two rated zoo in the country every year uh, it's an incredible place to, especially if you've got family coming with you. Um, and other than that, TCU's got a pretty fun tailgate scene. They've got tailgates going all over the stadium, starting about six hours before the game starts. Uh, and we're a pretty friendly bunch. So if you if you wander up, even if you're in Cal Gear, and you just say, "Hey, I'm in town for the game," people are probably going to offer you a, a beer and and chat you up and just kind of get to know you and be kind of friendly, welcoming Texan. You know, it's it's a stereotype for a reason, and so. Um, yeah, I hope that all the Cal fans come out and hang out and have a good time. My tailgate is located in the baseball lot. If anybody wants to come by and say, hey, um, I'll be out there wearing this exact hat. So uh, I don't know if this is audio only, but I'm wearing a purple hat that says Horn Frogs in really tiny font on it, uh, which everybody makes fun of me for. But I love this freaking hat. Uh, so, yeah, come by the baseball lot. Say hey to me. Uh, we'll have we'll have a beer before the game. Heim barbecue. That's that's where Heim to go. Barbecue. Cal fans. Heim, Heim barbecue. Mm hmm. All right. The last question that we ask most people, um, I say most because we usually don't ask this to Sanford fans because they always say Cal guy. So we (laughs) ask this to most fans and most writers that we talk to. We don't condone violence, but if you were given one free punch, whom do you most want to punch in the face? Oh, this is like like an like a sports person specifically. Doesn't matter. I mean, I believe okay. if I'm reading the article that um, Melissa wrote, which com- which drops, I believe today or tomorrow. Spoiler alert: uh, <laughs> She wrote uh, every single person who thinks taking horse dewormer instead of listening to actual medical professionals and receiving a free readily available vaccine that is modern miracles. That's who she yeah. would want to punch. So, um, not necessarily a sports person. <laughs> So there are some not so great things about living in Texas as well as all of the great things like the barbecue and mm. the excellent zoos and the warm weather and all of that kind of stuff. Um, I, I I don't know. I mean, I, I don't always get political, but Greg Abbott's kind of on my shit list right now. I don't know if I can cuss. <laughs> no, but, it's a, uh, you're perfectly okay, fine. Good. Yeah. Greg Abbott uh, is just really dumb and I don't like him uh, and probably needs. He's one of those kids, you know, like those kids that, you know, growing up that it's like someone needs to hit you or you're going to be the worst adult 
human being on the face of the planet. Like sometimes people get the crap smacked out of them and it like alters the course of their life for the better. That never happened to Greg Abbott. And so I think better late than never. Right. Uh, well, there, there it is. That's, that's, I think that's, there's no better way to end it that way. Um, thank you so much uh, for coming on the show. Where can people find you? Where can people read your stuff? Um, I believe you guys have a podcast too. Where can people get that episode and so on? Yeah, absolutely. So we are at frogsaward.com, uh, still a part of the SB Nation network that did all of our excellent California blogs so dirty a couple of years ago with how they, they treated you guys. Um, that still really sucks. Uh, but we are at frogsaward.com. You can find us on Twitter at frogsaward. Uh, we post our podcasts on the website every single week. Uh, you can also find it on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It's called the Frogs War Podcast. It's very simple. Um, you can follow me at Frog Preacher on Twitter, and then you can follow Melissa, who you guys have also interacted with this week on Twitter at the Coach Melissa. And that's a wrap for this podcast. Thank you all for listening, and as always, go Bears, go Frogs. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.